Gracious God, I thank you for each uh, person that is here and this opportunity to speak your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would now move among us so that we would have ears to hear what you want to say and uh, hearts that are willing to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, today we're going to begin a series of sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, which uh, I've entitled Life in the Kingdom. Life in the Kingdom. So the lectionary, the next uh, several weeks, is going to take selections from the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to expound those in our Sunday sermons. It's ironic that today is Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I know that's not on the liturgical calendar, but it's on the cultural calendar. And our gospel reading is the Beatitudes. Because, of course, there's such a contrast between the values that Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes and some of the values that we see on display in the Super Bowl. Um, I know that there are great laudable values that sports teach us, but, but bear with me here. I, I don't, I don't want to be a killjoy on Super Bowl Sunday. But just think about some of the values promoted at the Super Bowl. Blessed are the winners, for they will be rewarded with bonuses and fat contracts. Or the halftime show, blessed are the beautiful, the sensual, the talented, for they will be applauded by adoring fans. Or the commercials, blessed are you if you can buy this product, because you will live longer, happier, healthier lives on earth. What a different view in the Beatitudes. What a difference. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, they will be satisfied. The values that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, are so different from what our culture teaches that some people have, have just dismissed them as irrational and unreasonable. Sigmund Freud said about the command to love your neighbor as yourself, or the command and then the, the following command, to love your enemies, Sigmund Freud said this, he said, nothing runs so contrary to the original nature of man. This command to love your enemies. Freud says that's not natural. And he was right. He was right. Because we need a new nature in order to be the kind of people that Christ is calling us to be in the Beatitudes. We need our nature to be reborn by the Spirit of God to live out this kind of life that Jesus is describing in the Beatitudes. And that's why the Beatitudes are for those who are already in the kingdom. This is a very important point to make. This is an important, I think, principle for interpreting the, ser the entire Sermon on the Mount, that these Beatitudes and the teachings of Jesus are not ways into the kingdom. They're not laws that Jesus is giving that we have to fulfill in order to get into the kingdom. They are descriptions of what life is to be like in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, as we described last time, is the rule and the reign of God in the hearts of people. It begins a character movement, a character revolution, where people are changed from the inside out. And so these beatitudes are for people who are already 
in the kingdom. And you can see this from the very beginning in our, in our passage, of our passage. Verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountains, he, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the primary audience for the Beatitudes is the disciples, and the crowds are, as it were, kind of listening in. They're the secondary audience. But primarily this is Jesus' description of what it means to live in his kingdom, to be his disciple. So what I want to do today is just look at these Beatitudes, each of them, all eight of them. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I'll be brief. Uh, Some will be heavier than others. But we're just going to go through these. And we'll just look at this picture of life in the kingdom of God as Jesus describes it. And what we want to do is we want to measure ourselves against these things, test ourselves against these things. I think so often we get stuck in the Christian life because we don't have a clear vision of the kind of people we're supposed to be. You know, we, we, we might have an understanding of the things we're supposed to believe. We might understand some of the things we're supposed to do. But so often I think we get stalled in the Christian life because we don't understand the kind of people Christ calls us to be. And this is what Jesus is giving here, a a, a picture, a vision of a life that we are called to pursue as his disciples. So let's look at what he teaches us here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the foundational beatitude. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means that I recognize I have nothing spiritually to offer to God. That I come to Him with the empty hands of faith. That I don't point to my good works, that I don't point to my abilities, my talent, my education, to commend myself to Him. He, he can't be coerced by what I have. He doesn't need what I have. So I, know I have no claim on God. I'm spiritually bankrupt before him. So I come to him with the empty hands of faith, which means that I have to be saved by his grace. I'm accepted. I'm made a part of his kingdom by his sheer mercy and grace. Now, when we are empty before God, he fills us with himself. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is for those who understand that they're spiritually poor. That they're spiritually poor. And we have to just remind ourselves of that, and especially those that we're uh, talking to, sharing our faith, because, again, the, 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 um, the dominant view in our culture today is that if there is a heaven, if there is a God, he's going to accept me based on what I've done. And the clear teaching of Jesus is no. He accepts you when you realize you can't do enough to be in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So that's the foundational beatitude. And then Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, mourning here doesn't just include mourning for those who we have lost, loved ones who have died, bereavement. It's, it includes that. It's part of that. Certainly there is comfort, there is hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ for those who mourn those who've died in faith. So that's a comfort we have. But it's also about spiritual mourning. Jesus is talking here about the mourning for our sin and the sin of others and the brokenness of the world. We see God's standard. 
we see God's commands. We see the life that Jesus lived, and we look at our own life, and we recognize that we fall so short. And so that should create in us a, a kind of godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. But we see that attitude in the apostle, for example, Apostle uh, Paul in, in Romans 7, when he talks about, uh, I do not do the good that I want to do. I'm always doing the evil that I don't want to do. Remember that passage? Talking about kind of the spiritual struggle that he's in. And he says, what a wretched man I am. And he, he's, he's mourning over his, his, his struggle in this battle that he's in because of his sin. And, of course, he praises God that through Jesus Christ he's been rescued. But we feel that tension. Or think of David in Psalm 51, this, this psalm of contrition after he's committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He writes this beautiful Psalm 51, and he says to God, Against you and you only have I sinned. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So as we read this, we just have to ask ourselves again. We're, we're asking ourselves, how does this reflect my spiritual life now? And have we experienced that kind of spiritual mourning in our own life that brings us to a place of repentance? How about mourning for the brokenness of our world and the spiritual blindness of our world today? When Jesus made his way into Jerusalem the last time, he wept over Jerusalem. He wept over the city. And he said, if only you had known what made for peace. He was mourning. He was grieving for the spiritual blindness of the people of Jerusalem. Christ promises when we mourn, God will comfort. When we mourn our sin, God comforts us with forgiveness. When we look to the cross of Christ, we're comforted with the forgiveness of our sins. And even as we mourn the brokenness of our world because of sin, because of rebellion against God, there is the comfort that comes from knowing that at the end, Christ is coming again and he will redeem this broken world and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that's a great reward that comforts us. Some of these rewards, by the way, if we had time we could talk more about these rewards and the Beatitudes. Some of them deal with our life now. We're rewarded in this life now as we pursue this kind of life. We're rewarded because we have a right relationship with God and, and, and other people. But ultimately, these rewards are also about when Christ comes again. We're living not just for this life, but we're living for the life to come. So, blessed then, number three, are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Uh, the opposite of meekness, I think we could say, is self-assertion and insisting on your own way. Biblically, a meek person is somebody who trusts in God's way and in the goodness of God. Jesus promises that the meek will be vindicated. They will inherit the earth. That is, they will reign with Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness, being meek, being humble, does not mean that we withdraw and, and we don't use our gifts and our abilities for the kingdom of, of, of Christ. But it means that we live our life in absolute trust and obedience to God, relying upon Him, not asserting ourselves, but trusting in God. John Dixon, in his book on humility, gives a really striking illustration of this. He talks about in the 1930s in Detroit, 
There were three young men on a bus who tried to pick a fight with a man who was in the back of the bus. And they insulted this man. I think there was some racial element here. They were insulting him, and he didn't respond. He just kind of sat there stoically. So they turned up the heat, and they kept insulting him. And he said nothing. And eventually this stranger got up, and when he, when they, when he got up, they recognized that this guy was a lot bigger than them. They didn't realize how big he was. He was much bigger. And he reached out into his pocket as he was leaving. He handed them a business card. And so they gathered around to see who this person was. And on it, it said, Joe Lewis Boxer. <laughs> they had just tried to pick a fight with a man who was the, would be the heavyweight champion of the world from like 1937 to 1949. Amazing. But John Dixon uses this illustration in his book to point out this, that humility is about not, not being powerless, but holding power and using your power in the right way. Using your gifts, using your power for others, to benefit others. And of course, in the Christian context, for the good of the kingdom of God. We need Christians who are leaders in the world today. In business, in family life in the church, in their neighborhood, in their community. We need bold leaders who are meek in the sense not of sheepishly withdrawing or suppressing their personality, but they're trusting in God. They're not asserting themselves. They're not trying to make their own path, but they're living under the authority and power of Christ their King, and they're bold because of that. And they're living for the kingdom of God. They're salt and light. We'll talk about that next week in the world. So spiritual poverty, spiritual mourning, meekness. And then number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. This is a central beatitude. It comes literally at the center point of the beatitudes. I don't think that's a mistake because it's, it, it speaks to where our heart is. It speaks to who we are at the core of who we are. What we desire reveals who we are. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says. What does that mean? It means we want to be in right relationship with God. That's part of what righteousness means. We want to be right with God. And through Jesus Christ, we're brought into a right relationship with Him. God made Him who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. The great exchange. He took our sin upon himself and we are given his righteousness. So the kingdom of God is, belongs to people who hunger to be right with God and God has provided that, a way for that to happen. But then we want to be in right relationships with other people and we want to live righteous lives in the fear of God. We want to see people treat one another rightly. We want to see justice flourish in the world. And Christ promises that if we long for this, we will be satisfied. We will be filled. I was uh, watching a video that I think has been going around. Uh, maybe you've seen it on Facebook or YouTube or through email. But it's a video of the, some of the people on the Seattle Seahawks team who are Christians. And they're just giving testimony about the, the importance of their faith in the midst of all this hoopla. And one of them said, you know, 
I can have championships as a football player and a lot of money and attention and fame. But all that stuff is temporary. It doesn't satisfy ultimately. What really satisfies me is my relationship with God because that's eternal. And that's the focus of kingdom people. Even in the midst of all the other things that this life has to offer, we understand that there's a hunger and thirst for righteousness, to know God, to know Him rightly, to live right before Him. And Jesus says, if that is what you're hungry for, you will be satisfied, you will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. If you know that you've been saved because only because God has been merciful to you, if you're aware of your spiritual poverty, then it'll help you to be merciful to other people. Because you're aware that I fall short too. And sometimes we don't give each other the benefit of the doubt because we lose the sense of our own spiritual poverty. But when we understand how poor we are in the sight of God because of our sin and it's His mercy and grace that has saved us, it humbles us and helps us to be humble and merciful towards others. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That doesn't mean simply moral purity, although it includes that, but it means a heart that is, it is, is uh, not mixed with other desires or intentions. There is a purity of heart. There is a purity of purpose. There is a singleness, a wholeness of heart. I want to be wholly devoted to God. And the promise is that if that is your heart, if that is where you're at, then you shall see God. What a wonderful promise. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. God is a God of peace. God is a God of shalom, which doesn't just mean an absence of conflict, but it means wholeness, restoration, the, the way the world is supposed to be. That is what shalom is. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And those who dedicate their lives to bringing about peace, wholeness, in their family life, in their church, in their community, reflect the character of God. God will recognize them as His own. They will be called sons of God. And then we come to this final beatitude. And this beatitude is about, this is kind of a transitional beatitude that will take us to our passage next week. It represents sort of a little turn here because it's about how people outside of the kingdom will respond to us. And this is kind of a, a sober, sober note here, a, a somber uh, note. Um, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Living in the kingdom of Christ means that you're going to come sometimes in conflict, conflict with the kingdom of this world. And then he goes on and talks about the types of persecution that, that can happen, being reviled, being slandered. And of course we know that there are Christians throughout the world today who are being physically persecuted for the cause of Christ. Why are Christians persecuted? Why are Christians reviled and slandered? Well, it's the same reason why Jesus was persecuted and rejected in his day. John 3 tells us that the light came into the world and people loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light, lest his works be exposed, John 3 tells us. So there's a natural adversity between light and darkness because it reveals the darkness. And we can expect persecution. But Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. You're in good company because this is how the world has always treated God's kingdom people. 
So those are the Beatitudes, and I know it's a lot to think about. I mean, we're just skimming the surface. You could take one and focus on that for uh, a sermon by itself. But I just want to, again, point out that this is a composite picture of a disciple living under the authority of Jesus Christ. This is the picture of who we're called to be. So how do we apply these? How can we reflect on these uh, Beatitudes? First of all, I think this. Number one is, as we read these Beatitudes, it should increase our honor and love of Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one who's lived these Beatitudes perfectly. This is a high moral bar that he's setting here. As Freud said, this is not natural to live like this. It's supernatural. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, lived out these Beatitudes perfectly. The only one probably that doesn't apply to him is the very first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because that implies our fallen nature. Jesus was without sin. But all the other Beatitudes, if you look at his ministry, if you look at his life, you can just see how they line up with who Jesus Christ was. And he demonstrated these beautifully and perfectly. And so our honor and love of Christ should be raised as we think about that. He lived this life out of obedience to his Father and in our place. But secondly, we can use these Beatitudes in prayer and reflection to take a spiritual inventory. Is this the kind of person that I really want to be? Do I intend to be this kind of person? This is who Christ is calling me to be if I'm his disciples. Take the Beatitudes, for example. Some people recommend this and use them on a, on a daily basis for a period of time, maybe 30 days. Take the Beatitudes and prayerfully reflect on them each and every day and ask God by his grace to help you to be this kind of person. This is one way we can be kingdom people even while we live in the kingdom of the world. I'll just close with another uh, kind of contemporary example here uh, today. Today is Contemporary Culture Day, I guess, for my illustrations. But did you hear about Mandisa, the, the, the Grammy-nominated Christian singer? I think she actually won a couple of the Grammys this year. Uh, but she refused to go to the Grammys this year. And she made a statement about why she did that. And it was very interesting. Uh, she said, both times I went to the Grammys, I've witnessed performances I wish I could erase from my memory. Okay, now, I think we... If you know what happens at the Grammys and what's happened the last couple of years, we can understand that. But, but here's the twist, okay? Because it's not, a, it's not a shock that people in the world are acting like worldly people, right? But she said, that's not the reason I, I, I refuse to go. It's not because of them. It's because of me. Because I have been struggling with being in the world but not of it. I have fallen prey to the lure of the flesh pride and selfish desires and she was saying the kingdom of the world was beginning to pull me in and i recognize this by the grace of god and i'm changing course and that's a really good example for us so often we we're locked in this sort of conflict model with the world and we know that there is a conflict between darkness and light but the first thing we need to do is check our own hearts how's it influencing me how can I be a greater witness to the world? She wasn't so much condemning others. She was admitting that she's starting to lose the values of the kingdom of the character of a Christian. And in the Beatitudes, Christ gives us a picture of what his disciples look like. By his grace, let's pursue being these kinds of people.
for his glory and as a witness to our world today. It would be a great witness if we pursue these attributes. Our light will shine in the darkness. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words that have been preserved for us through centuries, through the ages. What a call that you've given to us as kingdom people to live like this. And we know that we can't do it in our own strength. So I pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you'll convict us of those areas in our life where we fall short. And you'll give us the grace to be conformed more and more into your character. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.